0: In Psalm thirty-four, I'm going to read from Psalm thirty-four, and I'm, we're going to read it, uh, put it in English as much as we can. Uh, how it is brought out so beautifully in in the Hebrew language. Now, this particular psalm here, it, it's 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 teaching thanksgiving. Teaching thanksgiving. And then teaching of the one who receives that and has experienced as a result of that deliverance. Now, when we talk about, when the Bible talks about in Ephesians 5.20, for us in Christ, we're to be thankful for all things. Meaning this, that God has given us everything by which we can be and should be thankful for all things. Because this brings out the reality in Romans 8 and verse 28 and in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 15 and in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 18 how that all these things for us in Christ, no matter what it is, are an opportunity and a source of thanksgiving because of the fact that he in Hebrews 13 and verse 5 In Joshua 1 and verse 5, he will never fail us, nor never forsake us or leave us. He never does. He never does. And we can be thankful in all things in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18. Now, the reason why that in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18, we can be thankful in all things is because in 1 Thessalonians 5, And verse 17, it says, pray without ceasing. I used to think when I was younger in my younger years, decades ago, when I would study the word of God, and you would think, well, how how does God expect someone to constantly pray? Well, it's very simple. Prayer always teaches dependence. The answer to my struggle, the answer to it all, and God's one answer is Jesus Christ. So again, it just makes it very, very clear that prayer is constantly teaching dependence. And dependence will bring about and put me in a place for me to experience the intimacy of God's love for me. And that's the thing. His love for me is the answer. His son that he gave us. Son of his love in Colossians 1 and verse 13. His love for us is the answer to everything. And so I can, and, and again, this psalm in Psalm 34 brings out that. It brings out thanksgiving. So I can know. I can know when I am resting in his love for me. I can know when I'm resting in his love that has accomplished everything for me by being thankful. That's how I know. That's how I know. I'm experiencing the intimacy and fullness of his one thought, Jesus Christ. His his son in me, the treasure in me, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. His treasure in me, which is a phenomenal thing, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. So when I rest in his love, when I rest in his love, and when I receive the intimacy of his love, That is bringing out Ephesians 1 and verse 1. We are positioned in him. The faithful there is not speaking about doing. When it says that to the faithful that are in Christ. Who are faithful that are in Christ? Those that have received him. Those that have been positioned, set in him. Is he not less set in us? In the eternal sense? than he is in time, in every circumstance, in every single situation. Well, resting in his love allows me to be a dependent and faithful worshiper. Faithful worshiper. Instead of worshiping doubt, complaining, fear, irritation, suspicion, all of these things competing, comparing ourselves with one another in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. You know when we compare, when we begin to compare ourselves, then sometimes we have to change certain things. Instead of just just simply receiving, receiving. You see God is going to give us truth and he has given us the truth in Christ. But he but he will do it and he does it in a measure when we're humble and humility simply means is who I am in a place of receiving around others what God's given me as he uses those others. Such a beautiful thing. It's such a tremendous and wonderful thing. So here in this psalm here, we can see that. We can see it. And this is why it says, I will. That's a will submitted and resting in his love. Resting in his love. I will bless Yahweh. How? At all times. What does that mean? What does that mean? Now we're going to get into this. And and we're going to get into it today and tomorrow. In the richness of the word that God has given us. We're going to get into it this Thursday morning. We're going to get into it Friday morning. in, In a real deep and beautiful way. We're going to see how that this refers to. When going back and where we can glean and learn from this is this is in 1 Samuel 22, 1 and 2, when David was being attacked by Saul and he had to run and hide in a cave called Adullam. And in that cave, in that dark place, oh, you know what it says about dark places in Isaiah 45 and verse 3? It says that God will give us the, 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 the treasures of darkness. There's treasure that, that God has for us bringing out the treasure of Christ in our vessel in the dark times. They're not against us, even though the enemy may project that to us through his lies. No, they're for us. No. God will give us the treasures of darkness, and it says the hidden riches in secret places, places when we're alone, when we think that we're all alone, when we have Christ in us, God's everything. He's given us that. Did you know and did I know that when David was in that cave, when he was in a dark situation, when he felt like he was running for his life, when he thought that everything against him was gone, when he thought that he lost everything in that cave, did you know that God gave him Psalm 34 to write? Did you know that? Did I know it? He gave us. He gave him Psalm 34 to write know what else? You know what other psalm he wrote there? He wrote Psalm 57. You know what other psalm he wrote there? Psalm 142. You know what? He was in a dark place. He was in a dark place. First Chronicles, the 12th chapter, refers to this in a very deep and significant way. Did you know that we're in a cave? And sometimes we think we're all alone and we're going to work things out. We think that we can work things out all on our own. But you know what God did? You know what he did for David? He sent them finally when he was done sending him men. You will see how beautiful this is in 1 Chronicles, the 12th chapter. You will see how incredible it is. How incredibly wonderful it is there. How he kept sending him men. And those men were prepared with provisions with bread, with supplies, with oil to give to David in the midst of his darkness. Did you know that's why it's so important for us to wait upon God? Because he will give us the answer. That's why we need a local assembly. And that's why we need a depth of teaching. That's why we need it. That's why we need these specific things. That's why God has given us a website to put up messages. Two, I think, extremely relevant messages deeply needed by people are these last few messages about struggling and how important they are and necessary they are for many to hear, for all of us, because it is God's word. It is God's counsel to us. And it's the most extreme and the most important thing. You see, God kept sending men to David. Did he send the noble? No. No, you'll see that. In First Corinthians chapter one, you can start in verse twenty-five to and get to thirty-one. Not many noble, not many mighty. No, not many of the strongest men did he send. No, he sent men that were weak, but were in themselves, but were filled with the strength and grace of Christ, and they were prepared. Did you know that when you and I are in, in the depth and darkness of our circumstance and situation, that God has put us there because He's preparing us for something. Awesome. You know, it's always the darkest at night, just before the dawn breaks, just before the light begins to break. He gives us the treasures of darkness. There's a lot of treasure there. That's why Paul said in Philippians three and verse 10, "I want to know him in the power of his resurrection." But then there's times when there's going to be a greater sense of intimacy, not only with ourselves but with others, the fellowship of his suffering. Unbelievable depth of intimacy comes out of the sufferings that Christ has apportioned for all of us in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 28 and 29, which he has so numbered beautifully for all of us. They're numbered in First Thessalonians 3 and verse 3. Every single one are numbered. You see, David needed help. He couldn't do it by himself. Again, the struggles and things that we learn Again, this was brought out in Numbers, the 11th chapter. Numbers, the 11th chapter. Men can't do it themselves. They want to. They want to. And insecurity and fear will cause many to think that they have to do it themselves. When God has multitudes for us. You know, that is humility. Humility is what I am. What I am in the sight of God around those that he's chosen to give us the treasures that we need in the midst of our darkness. Listen, we all struggle, everyone. David did. David did. But he can bless the Lord, what? At all times. At all times. Not sometimes. All times. Not sometimes. All times. Every single time. Psalm 62.5, my soul, and this is very important here, my soul waits you upon the Lord. Now I'm going to read what it says in the original Hebrew here in Psalm 34. And we're going to see this in these verses. We're going to see it. It says, my soul wait you upon the Lord. David, wait. You wait. You may think you're all alone in the midst of your struggle. You may think you're all alone. You may think so, but God is preparing you to receive those that he's prepared to send to you and to fill you with what you have need of in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your cave, meaning in the midst of your stronghold. You'll see this in 1 Chronicles, the 12th chapter in verse 1, it says that David kept himself who was keeping him. We don't keep ourselves. First Peter one five. we are kept by the power of God. Who is the power of God? It is Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God in the midst of the struggle. What does he want to teach us? In Second Timothy 1.7, God has not given us the spirit of fear. No, but of power and love and a very well-disciplined mind. And to have that disciplined mind He's going to have to humble us to rely on others to give us what we need in the midst of that struggle, in the midst of what we think these plans are. What these plans are are so very, very vital. They're very, very, very important to us. And so it says, my soul, wait you upon God, for from him comes my expectation. And that expectation is... Those in the body of Christ that he's given others, that he's given to us. Those that speak the truth and love in Christ, they speak the truth and love, and then they become joints that supply in Ephesians four, fifteen and 16. That's what it says, makes it very, very clear. So, my soul waits you upon God, for from him comes my expectation. Many times that expectation that you deeply and I deeply desire is he sends others to give it to us, just like he did. And you'll read it, read it in 1 Chronicles, the 12th chapter. David was kept in that cave. doesn't speak of Adullam, but it brings it out in the original. He was kept in that cave, you'll see it. And 1 Chronicles 12 and verse 1, 1 Chronicles 12 and verse 8, and 1 Chronicles 12 and verse 16, he was kept in the hold. What is it? A stronghold. A stronghold. Why does it say that, my soul? Why do we have to wait? at sometimes in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the darkness, we can't figure it out. Don't you worry about it. God will give you an answer. Sometimes he brings the answer to you alone. But most of the time, he's going to bring those answers through the provision that others have. And unless you rely on them in humility and you're relying on Christ, that's 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Who is the hand of God? Those that God has chosen to be over you, to help you. Always in this principle, in 1 Peter 5, in verse 5, you younger, submit yourself to the elder and be clothed with humility. Be clothed with the protection of his love as you rest in his love and become a faithful worshiper in the midst of whatever the circumstance or situation is. So it says here, again, I will bless the Lord in Psalm uh, 34. Now watch how it works in Psalm 62 in verse 5. My soul waits you upon the Lord, for from him comes my expectation. So how often should I pour my heart out to him? In Psalm 62 and verse 8, all times. We are to pour our hearts out to Him at all times. And we're to keep pouring it out and not stop and trust Him until the answer comes. And when it comes, it will come, but it will be in Genesis 18 and verse 14. It will be at God's time. And that time will be a time in Genesis 21. And verse 6, a time of unbelievable joy and laughter at his timing and his provision. His timing and his provision. Again, I will bless in Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. Continual let his praise be in my mouth. Oh, Ephesians 4 and verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. What is corrupt? Doubt. What is corrupt? fear. What is corrupt? Worry. What is corrupt? Irritation. What is corrupt? Suspicion. Suspicion. Continually let his praise be in my mouth. Psalm 81 and verse 10. Open wide your mouth. This speaks of intense hunger. I saw it. I saw intense hunger from individuals. I also saw intense struggle where I was just recently. I I saw intense struggle but still intense hunger. Listen, when a bird, a little bird in its mother's nest, when it's there, it where is it? It's resting in the nest. And when it's hungry, what does it have to do? It just has to open wide its mouth in Psalm 81 and verse 10, and God will fill it. He'll fill it. He's always faithful. He is faithfulness. In Revelations 21 and verse 5, in Revelations 22 and verse 6, He is faithfulness. He is that foundation upon which we are built up upon him in Matthew 16 and verse 18 and 1 Corinthians 3, 10, 11 and 12, specifically 11 and 12. In Yahweh, Yahweh, what does his name mean? Yahweh. He hears, he sees, and he comes down. (laughs) Yahweh. Yahweh, Yahweh, in Yahweh will my soul make her boast in Psalm 44 and verse, verse 8. The humble will hear thereof in Psalm 34 and verse 2 and their boast in Psalm 44 and verse 8 will be in the Lord, in the Lord as they wait patiently for His timing and His provision for the time when He will be glorified and we will, we will be blessed. That has to do with His timing and His provision. And so much of what is in us that is in the way of that being revealed as glory and our blessing has to be removed first. And that's why we need to be patient. Now here, when it says the humble, in certain translations, the humble will hear thereof and be glad, it simply says in the original, the patient. The patient. What does the bird do when it's hungry? It opens wide its mouth. And it waits till the mother or the father bird brings back what it needs. But while it waits, the little bird in the nest, has the mother and father forsaken? No, Psalm 27 and verse 10. When my mother and when my father forsake me, the Lord will take me up. And you may think and I may think while we're in the hold, his stronghold, held strong by him. We may think that while we wait, That he's not there. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Never. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. Ever. One single time. He never, ever leaves us nor forsakes us. He's just getting others prepared to be that provision to bring back to the nest. And all I have to do in humility is open wide my mouth and receive it. thought of so many the past few days since I've been back. So many here, so many, so very many. And so many from where I left, I thought of so many, so many. And of course, I never can think of anyone without thinking of myself in terms of the need that I and we cannot meet outside of anything other than Jesus Christ. So it says the patient will hear. And hearing means submitting. So you know what he does? He humbles us. He has to humble us by his love. That pours through grace. This has to do so many times over the decades as God has been faithful to teach us from from way back, I would say, in Texas from 2008 to this present time here in the Berkshires, his anticipative love and his prevenient grace. The patient will hear, will submit thereof. You know, I can always tell when I have submitted It ends the struggle. I rest in his love in that area. And now I become a faithful worshiper of him. I don't worship doubt, fear, worry, anger. I don't look at things by sight anymore. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7. No. No. I know that as I wait, hope may may be deferred. Doesn't mean that he has forsaken us in Proverbs 13 and verse 12. Doesn't mean that at all. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Why? Because the heart has things that it treasures up that's not of Christ. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when, not if, but when the desire comes, when the mother bird brings back, what that little helpless baby bird in the nest can do nothing but wait, and you see it with its mouth wide open, ready to receive. And then what happens? Oh, he comes in, and oh, we begin to magnify Yahweh, and we do it together. And then we can let us all, let us all exalt his name together. Because what happened? I sought Yahweh. What is it? In the midst of the struggle, what do I do? What is he teaching me? To seek him. To always seek him. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, their thoughts of peace and not evil. In the midst of your struggle, God does not think evil about you ever. He hasn't forsaken you. He's preparing you and preparing others to bring you all together so that you can all exalt his name, the person of Christ and what he's accomplished together. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed in pride to not receive the help that each of us need from each other with Christ as the vessel in each. Don't be ashamed of that. Don't think you can do it yourself. I'm not to think I can do it by myself. None of us can. None of us can. That's why we have the body of Christ. That's why sometimes we get teaching to affect even the local assemblies where we are. That's just the faithfulness of God in, in the depth of, And the clarity of the counsel, of the intimacy of His love, that we desperately need, because without His love, experiencing it, we have no other place to rest. We begin to wander. There's where all the lust patterns, in in the flesh, begin to take precedence. And then we have to, and when we don't experience His love, we have to try and fill the void. We have to try and fill the hole. We try to do it ourselves. And God has to put us in a cave of his protective love. And we think we're alone. And the whole time he's preparing us in humility to receive what he has for us. And most times that comes through someone else. We don't learn any other way, all of us. All of us together. And when we seek him, he says in in 12 and 13 of Jeremiah, We will find him. In other words, we will be found of him experientially who never leaves us nor forsakes us. You can see this truth in Jeremiah 29, 11 to 14. You can see it very clearly. And out of all what the enemy tries to tell us to make them to be our fears, out of all he delivers us. Out of all of them. And what is it? His love is the answer. To all your fears, meaning all your struggles. That's the answer. That's the answer. Look what it says. And looking unto him, in 34.5 of Psalm, looking unto him, they were lit up. They were lit up. They were lit up. In the midst of the darkness of their struggle, he's bringing in treasures and hidden riches. You know, those are going to enter into And the accountability of God, who never forgets what his son has accomplished for you and I. And that Psalm 45 in verse 3 will enter into Revelations 2 in verse 17. That's gonna be the hidden manna that we fed on in the white stone. And we will fellowship with him in the intimacy, in the individuality of our love for all eternity. And it was the struggle. In the midst of that struggle, He was with us, interceding for us in Romans 8 and verse 34. He was interceding for us in Hebrews 7 and verse 25. Ever living, ever being our life in Colossians 3 and verse 4. Ever living and appearing in the presence of God for us in Hebrews 9 and verse 24. Bringing it out so beautifully. So beautifully. And then I can trust him. They're not my fears; They're the lies of the enemy. His answer for all my fears that the enemy tries to make to be mine to struggle with, the answer that delivers us out of them is his love. In 1 John 4, verse 18, love that's perfected, completed about us, casts out fear because fear is torture. And sometimes, not that we, that, that we have to, but we choose at times to go through torturous times. So to finally, we cry out in Romans 7 and verse 24. In our experience, a wretched man that I am. That's what the enemy is trying to tell you who you are. That you're a wretched man or you're a wretched woman in the midst of your struggles. Are they? What struggle are we carrying that he hasn't already been the burden bearer for? You know Psalm 55 and verse 22. Cast your burden upon the Lord. This speaks of experience. Cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be moved or even to totter a little bit, to be shaken. When God shakes, when he shakes us in Hebrews 12 and verse 25 to 29, when he shakes us, it's to shake, and this is the struggle. He shakes things in us that can be shaken, to bring us to a place to see. How unshakable is Christ our foundation. And we won't build on anything else. In Matthew 7, 24 to 27, we won't build on sand, shifting sand. What is shifting sand there? It's our emotions. They're up and down. We go by feelings and we go by feelings. And the enemy and the ignorance and not even being aware of it tells us that that determination of who we are in our relationship with God is how we feel. When it has nothing to do, our feelings have nothing to do with who he's made us to be in Christ. Feelings are, uh, the, are just revealing the content of the initiation of either the truth or a lie. Instead of having good emotions, we have bad because we have bad thoughts in the midst of the struggle. And all he's doing is separating those things in Hebrews 4 and verse 12. And once he separates the soul from the spirit, self-conscious living and struggle, into spirit-conscious living. When he does that, then we're able to take the sword of the Spirit because otherwise we won't. The flesh won't receive it. In 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14, the carnal man receives not the things of God. Neither can he know them because he thinks they're foolish. It's foolish to think that you can struggle on your own. It's foolish. It's nothing but pride. Don't allow pride to make your private plans and to be moved from the place where God feeds you the word of God continuously. Don't change it. Proverbs 24 and 21, meddle not with them that are given to change. Meddle not with them with them that are given to change. Don't get mixed up and intertwined with them. With, and that simply starts with each of our own thoughts. We, the enemy tries to convince us in the struggle that these are your thoughts and you have to do something about them. They're not. Christ is our one thought. He's our life. He's our image. He's our only identification. And he has to teach us that in the midst of the struggle. This is what he was teaching David. He was teaching David, I have great things for you, David. Okay? But they involve others in your life in the most intimate way, in the most very intimate way. You seek the Lord. I sought the Lord, and what does it say? He answered me. What's God's answer? It's Christ. What's God's answer? It's his love for us. Where does it flow? Through grace. Something I don't deserve. Something I can't. I can't earn my way out of a struggle like through false, bad, evil teaching teaches you. If you do these things, God will do this. If you don't do these things, he won't do this. When it's already finished, in John 19 and verse 30, it's already finished. You're finished in him. You already are a success, uh, an, an incredible success because you have the treasure in you. Even when you struggle in Second Corinthians 4, 7, you are already a success. And he's just separating the lies, the thoughts that the enemy tries to convince you and I that that's what we think. And that we can think that we can think apart from God and that we can think apart from God that God has given us those guides that are over us to guide us into truth where we cannot guide ourselves. In Hebrews 13, 17, there are guides and they bring us to Christ in areas where we cannot bring ourselves. That's what makes it important to constantly receive the word of God in a most profound and beautiful way. It says, "When when I sought the Lord, he answered me. And out of all my fears, not some, out of all my fears, he delivered me. And then I then I was looking unto him. Hebrews 12 1. Lay aside every weight. What's that? A struggle. Lay aside every weight. Come in here. Come in here. Come in here. And when you do, when you're humbled, that brings us to a place the humble will hear, submit, and be glad. The humble will. And they look unto him. In Hebrews 12.1, again, lay aside every weight. Because if you don't in your struggle, it will lead to sin and trip you up in the race. It's a, it's a marathon. It's not a 50-yard or a 100-yard dash, like some teaching will teach you. That you know enough, you don't need to know anymore in this specific area. When no, none of us know anything like we ought. Only we know it as love teaches us. This is 1 Corinthians 8, 1 to 3. This is 1 John 3, 20 and 21. If my mind condemns me, God is greater than my mind in the midst of the struggle. And he knows all things. What does he know? He knows me in Christ. And when I look to Jesus away, away in Hebrews 12 through, from all that would distract, lead me away from him. What do I see? Here's some things that we see. And we're going to close with this. And they're brought out beautifully in Psalm 23. What, what do we see when we rest in his love? When we rest, that he does go before us. Christ has gone before us. Oh, yes, he has. You see that in Hebrews 2, 9 to 18. He goes before us in Psalm 68 in verse 7. He goes before us in First Peter two twenty-one. The steps of a, of a man, a man that's graced out by God's love. Through that grace. They are ordered and set of the Lord in Psalm 37 and verse 23, and those are the steps of our precious Savior. They were blood-stained steps in the depth of His poured-out love to His Father for us, and propitiating the Father, and then thus becoming our only one and only substitute for the flesh, for the lies, for the doubt, for the fear, and that thereby we are reconciled to Him. That's the shaking process, separating, sanctifying process brought out in John 17, 11, 21, and 22, so that we function in the oneness of his love. What else do we see when we look to him, that he guides us? This is Psalm 23 and verse 2. This is Psalm 48 and verse 14. He'll be our guide unto our death. And he's given us guides in Hebrews 13 and verse 17. He's given us these guides, and even when these guides fail, he never does. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 13, even if we, that are his guides, abide not faithful. He abides faithful. He will never deny the love that his son is and what he's accomplished for each individual. What else do we see that he leads us? We see it again in Psalm 24 and 23 and verse 4. We see it again in Jeremiah 50. In verse 19, He leads us. Now listen, he leads us, and this is what's being brought out this morning, that he leads us, in Hebrews 12, to looking away from all that could distract and stop, stop looking to other things and look to him, and he will lead you. Where? To places of rest by the waters. By the waters. We see that beautifully. He's going to lead us to these places where the water. And we can see this very, very beautifully, very, very incredibly in in, um, Ezekiel 47, how that the water was up to the ankles. We're learning his love, the water cleansing power in Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. In the midst of the struggle, the cleansing process, he's cleaning us, our walk. Then it comes up to the knees. Then it comes up to the loins. Then it comes up to the head. It's just above the waters. And then you find, finally find out, as I am finding out more and more in my older age, it is his love that carries us. It's his love that's carrying us. And that's what he said to Peter. I'm going to carry you to places where you wouldn't even dream. You could never do in your, in your struggles. But your struggles, will, out of it will come out the proof that in John 21 and verse 18, I'm carrying you. And he, and, and he leads us beside the place of rest, of waters. He cleanses us. and In John 13, 4 to 11, He's cleansing us so that when we do fail and we confess that in 1 John 1, nine, we can continue to rest in His love for us. And many times the struggling process is just his, his cleansing our feet. Our walk, cleansing us. What else do we see? We see that In Isaiah 40, and verse 11, he carries us. He carries us. We don't do it ourselves. He carries us. He carries us. Little ones. That's right, we're little. He carries little ones. Where? Close to his heart. Did you see, John, how he constantly, in the picture of the disciples that were getting together, In John 13 and verse 23, and at the end of the chapter in in the Gospel of John, he laid his head on Jesus' breast. You know, there's plenty of room there. There was plenty of room. God made room in the cave, not just for David, but for multitudes. For them to be a provision to him and him to be a provision to them because he had to prepare all of that to happen. The preparation of God's love, his anticipative love. In this prevenient grace, grace that He so deeply desires to give us, that grace is His love flowing, anticipatively, even when we haven't received it, even when we haven't received that grace and that's prevenient grace, where my will is not active yet. But a lot of times, that's what the struggle is. It's it's getting us to submit our wills. You and I can't do it ourselves. There's no shame in relying. On Christ and on others in the body of Christ. Especially those that he's given to us as guides. Many of my guides. I think almost a, the multitude of them. In Hebrews 13, 7 have already passed into heaven. But he still uses them. He's given me some here. In Hebrews thirteen seventeen. He's given us some. That's what he's done. What else? So what do we see? He carries us little ones and, in Isaiah 40, verse 11, close to his heart and gently leads the mother sheep. Those who are about to give birth, new life. He's gently leading us. And in the struggle, struggle we're pregnant with life, but need, that life needs to be delivered in and out and through us. Gently leads. He gently does that. We see that he protects it. He protects his sheep with his staff. With his staff. How we measure ourselves through the precious word that Jesus is. And when we do, he protects us. Love is all about protection. We see it in Psalm 23 and verse 2. His protecting love. His staff. We see it in Psalm 80 and verse 1. We see it in Isaiah 49 and verse 10. Then what is he? We hear him. You know, the shepherd there in, in the eastern a part of the uh, of the world in Asia and in, in that area there. There were many shepherds, and they would all, with many different shepherds of many different sheep, would all go in one pen. But the but the one particular shepherd of those particular sheep, he would whistle and they would know the sound of his voice. And only those that were his would come out and he would lead them out. <laughs> and this is what he's talking about. In Psalm 23 and verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. In the midst of my struggle, in the midst of my pain, he's shepherding me. He's never leaving me. The shepherd never leaves the sheep. He never leaves the sheep to guide themselves, feed themselves, protect themselves, and clean themselves. He never does. Oh, the Lord is my shepherd. Oh, when he gets me to be separated from those scattering thoughts of the enemy in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of a stronghold. And so a stronghold is where God places us so he can separate us, those reasoning thoughts, to be able to cast them down in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5. All those false reasoning and lies and those things and those thoughts that the enemy tries to convince us that that's who we are and what we're thinking, when it's not at all. Not the shepherd's thought towards us at all. And so what we see is he begins to whistle. We know his voice. Oh, when Mary was at the tomb, looking for a dead Christ, at least trying to find something about him. In John 20, she heard him in thir- do you see that in thirteen to seventeen. He was looking, she didn't recognize him, although he was there. How many times we don't in the midst of our struggle don't recognize that he's there waiting for us in Isaiah 30 verse 18 to come out to submit our will because we can't do it the struggle we can't do it ourselves he's waiting to be gracious in Isaiah 30 and verse 18 and we're going to hear a word behind us as he leads us forward we're not going to turn to the left we're not going to turn to the right we're going to hear that this is the way you are to walk in it and when Mary, she didn't recognize him, but one thing she did, when he she said his name, when he said her name, Mary, no one else could say it like he could. And he speaks this truth to us and he's making this very personal to each of us, each of us in our circumstances, in our situations. He whistles to those sheep of his who are, what? Who become scattered in their own thoughts that the enemy tries to convince that it's their thoughts. And this is how God thinks about you based upon your feelings. And by your feelings and the lies interpretation of the initiation of the lies you and your feelings, you think that's how God thinks of you. Does he? No. He never leaves us, nor forsakes us. He never changes his mind. Malachi 3:6, I'm the Lord thy God, I change not. And in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 14, whatsoever God does, He does forever. And yet forever, what he's done for us in time is his eternal thought and his son. We see that in John 1. And you can see in verse John 1, uh, chapter 1 and verse 1, all the way to 14, right through to uh, to 17, all the way through to the end of that chapter. Well, we're going to close soon, but what he wants us to see is that he gathers his own sheep to his own heart, to his own intimate, loving thoughts of you and I, That's what made it so important for us to come this morning and hear this. And for those that would miss it, thank God we can put up these messages that are so very vital to so many, to so many. This what makes it so extremely important is to place the word of God above everything. God will give us the time to do the necessity of his love and grace and rest. He'll do it when we trust him. May we trust him. Jesus, who is he? What we're going to see. We'll see in the midst of the circumstance, the midst of the struggle, that he's the good shepherd in John 10, 11 and 14. He's going to increase in his love for us. That never changes, by the way. We said, as God taught us, we said recently as God was teaching us, is teaching me and teaching us, that when God loves us in each particular area of the struggle, he's not giving us pieces of his love. He's loving us with all of his love. We can only understand it in part in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12, but soon we're going to see face to face without interruption, without distraction. The enemy says you don't love him. I say, here in his love, no, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for us. That's love. Now we do love, because he first loved us. But this is the separating, sanctifying process of growth and grace. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. We see he's the great shepherd of the sheep in Hebrews 13, 20. He's the great shepherd. You Nobody know else he has to teach us. That we're, that, that he, he is for us our, our chief shepherd. No one outdoes him. You know, as I was reading and we're going to close this morning. As God was counseling me in my own personal life. You know, there are those that when the finality of God begins in prophecy to fulfill his plan, to bring judgment on the earth, not on us as we come back with him, not on us, but we're going to see all those that clung to gold and silver, what they thought. And I think the gold and silver and precious stones, those material things in this earth are a test for us. Those that clung to the gold and silver, And stones that they thought were precious and meant everything to them. Those that relied on it. You see, gold really in the Bible speaks of the deity of Jesus Christ. And silver really, true silver, is just his redemption. And those precious stones are all the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And Galatians chapter 5 and verse uh, 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Self-control against such there is no other law. There was no other reasoning. And those that clung to that and not Christ, and he's got to teach us to cling to him constantly in the cave, in the stronghold, in the circumstance, in the dark circumstance, in the situation, the circumstance. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. And they who do, when he comes back and they choose to be without him, throw their gold and silver to the bats in Isaiah 2 and verse 20, to the moles and to the bats. And what do they think of it? What does it mean to them? Animals that can't even think with God doesn't mean a thing to them. What does it mean to us? What does Christ mean to us? In the midst of the struggle, he's proving his love for us. He's proving his love to us. The enemy comes in and says, doubt, worry, fear. In comes his love. And once again, he proves who he is constantly is, never changing, in the protection of his love for us. This is what, again, makes this counsel that God's given us so very vital for multitudes, all of us, because it is God's word. It is his precious time. It is his precious word for us. And Father, we do thank you for your love, and I look forward to your loving counsel for me, and I look forward to it with all of us to get more of this teaching of Psalm 34, of which we're, by your grace, we're knowing in part, but to prepare us. Everything about this life is to prepare us to face Christ in our own individuality. That is all it's about on this earth. That's all it's about. Not another thing. Not one other thing. He is all in all in Colossians 3.11. Thank you, Father for this loving counsel, for the depth of the truth of your love. In Jesus' name, amen.